Welcome to the Player Layer Podcast, where we talk about board games and game design. I'm joined today by Nikola Petrov, designer of King of All Bards and narrative director for Zen Art VR. The Player Layer Patreon page is now running. As a reward, you will receive digital assets made by Vessel and Alexiev, early access to podcasts and videos, as well as the power to vote on future guests who you'll want to hear on the podcast. You'll find a link in the description. Thanks for your support. Hi everyone, I'm here today with Nikola Petrov, who is the designer of King of All Bards and many other projects. He's also a writer, he's been in the gaming industry for a while, and I'll actually let him introduce himself. Uh, yeah, well, I've, I've been involved with games professionally for a few years now, and I've been playing games all my life. Uh, so uh, maybe uh, starting with the hobby, I've been I've been serious about playing games since about 2005, I believe, like Dungeons and Dragons and Magic and board games. Um, I've been an esports journalist for about two years uh, now, well, in gaming journalism in general. Um, I've been a bartender in a board gaming bar. This is actually what uh, started my career. And for the past two years, I've been a professional designer. I work in a virtual reality studio as, um, well, my LinkedIn says narrative director, which is my fancy title. But in reality, like I'm a half writer and half game designer. Uh, and I also uh, make board games, which is my passion. And my first game, as you mentioned, The King of All Bards, was released uh, during Essen last year and is now out in the world. And I am... Almost finished, I'd say, with uh, my next project, which is a very simple card game. Are you ready to announce the next project yet on the podcast? Uh, well, I guess, why not? I can say the name. It's called Boasting Barbarians. It's a storytelling card game about uh, barbarians who died and went to Valhalla, and they uh, reminisce their lives and retell their stories back when they were alive and try to impress each other uh, with their legacies. Yeah. I, I got a chance to play the game maybe two or three months ago. I'm sure it's changed a lot since then, but I really enjoyed the theme. And the I, I saw your cell sheet, and it was very impressive the way you just... I, I really like the way you c can describe what you do, and, and you make it feel so exciting. And I feel like all of your projects are very exciting, including uh, The King of All Bards, which I really, really liked. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah. So can you tell us more about uh, the reception at Essen, how you went through publishing and how, how you, you got to Essen? So like, uh, when did you start working on The King of All Bards, first of all? Right. So uh, this is actually a tough one to answer because it's a, a really uh, long story. Uh, it's a long project. Uh, I'm also a musician. I play in a medieval band and uh, my passions for gaming and music have always uh, kind of um, uh, overwoven, you know. Uh, I've, I I love playing games like the Bard's Tale, the, like the old action RPG that's uh, about casting spells, but actually singing songs and stuff like this. Uh, so uh, I've been thinking about 
music and games and uh, how uh, the two can be combined outside of like a party game when you just sing or whatever. Uh, so the first idea about the King of All Bards, I think, came in 2014. I... I got a little notebook that I dedicated to the game as a like a psychological thing. I'll be like, I want to do this project and I want to collect my thoughts here in this notebook. So this notebook has been like filled with information for, I think, two years maybe. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden I had something that resembles a game, a very crude prototype. And I've been playtesting it on and off. Uh, and it didn't really work at first. Uh, I keep getting, kept getting uh, this feedback of, I love the idea. Uh, it just needs work right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, maybe maybe uh, game designers listening uh, can relate to that. Uh, and basically, I I worked on the prototype on and off for like two years. Uh, then I completely. Uh, stopped working on it for a long period of time because at that time a friend of mine, uh, Vasil, uh, was uh, making his card game. Uh, he was um, making a Kickstarter at the time, which ended up being successful. Uh, so I really wanted to to uh, help him and get involved with his game. Uh, and basically, I stopped working on the game for like a year or two. I'd like to say. And then Vasil returned the favor. He was like, okay, there's a design contest uh, in like a month. Uh, do you want to show off your old prototype that you were working on? And I was like, I guess I can. Um, I dug up the old game. I reworked it completely in a week. I'm talking like 80% of the original design was changed completely. And... Um, I ended up, uh, to my great surprise, winning this contest. Uh, that was uh, in 2017, I believe. And uh, since then, I really took the project uh, seriously. I started uh, playtesting it a lot, iterating. Uh, and maybe four or five months after the first contest, I entered another contest that I also won. And this is what um, got the attention of my publisher, Phantasmagoria. Uh, they straight up offered me a deal and I took it. So <laughs> that was quite a long story for I did a thing and then people liked it and <laughs> offered me a, a contract, you know? <laughs> yeah. And what about, uh, what was your game pitch for King of All Birds? Right. So uh, this is... Uh, Again, something that was almost out of my control because uh, we were in a contest setting. So um, I had to just uh, explain the, the game uh, in, in just very short description and play it with people. And we're talking dozens and dozens of people in the span of two days. Uh, so I was just uh, pitching the game real quick showing gameplay. And in a round or two, I would normally suggest that we stop. And uh, since it's a convention, th this is a really cool thing about conventions. You can actually showcase gameplay uh, on the spot really quickly. And then uh, be like, well, that's the gist of it. There's more to it, but obviously uh, you have to, to play the whole game for yourself to see it. And let's move to, to the next group of players who want to play. And this actually... Uh, first off, uh, is great for showcasing your idea, just the, 
and not only you know the presentation and the, the idea behind the game, but also uh, show off some actual gameplay. And second, it creates this uh, this feeling of oh, I like this and I would love to to play it more. Uh, so I think this is very cool and very successful way to pitch a product. And this is exactly what happened with the publishers. Uh, at some point, they uh, they came to my table. I gave them the the quick rundown. We didn't even play uh, a whole uh, game, you know. We just had a couple of rounds, and my game usually takes like five to six rounds. Uh, and they they really enjoyed the idea, and uh, they were like. Uh, like Alex, the guy from Phantasmagoria, the the publishers, uh, straight up told me, "I don't know what's uh, what will happen here in in the competition, but I definitely have personal interest in the game, and I want to, uh, you know, talk about it." And that's what happened. Uh, after the, the the two shows, I had the chance to sit down with them, uh, have some proper games together, discuss uh, the game design, and. Um, Again, this is this varies uh, on uh, on the type of presentation that you're doing. Uh, showing the game just to to a convention goer um, would be different from showing the game to a publisher, uh, because my publisher uh, Alex he's also a designer himself. So we actually got a chance to talk about uh, not only the the mechanisms in the game, but the general idea, design space, like what I meant with certain things in the game. And uh, we really took a deep dive. Mm -hmm. Did any of this answer your question? I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you're getting there. What, what I wanted to, to ask more of is how would you describe the game to somebody who hasn't played it or hasn't heard of it? Because I'm sure uh, some listeners haven't heard of it, maybe. Right, of course. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the, the pitch. Uh, you are a bard. Um, you just graduated Bard College in our fantasy made-up kingdom. And the goal of the game is to become the king of all bards, to become rich and famous. Uh, the win condition is to amass a certain amount of money and certain amount of fans. So this way you become rich and famous. Every round you would go to a new tavern. Uh, taverns are those uh, pieces uh, that um, are placed uh, in the middle of the board, you know. And uh, you would sing your songs. Uh, every time people like your music, they would become your fans or they would give you money. And the twist is that this is show business. So uh, not everybody is exactly playing by the rules. And you have those trick cards that you can use to uh, sabotage the other people's uh, shows. So it's like a light, fun game about singing songs and getting rich and famous, but it also has a heavy take that element in which you mess with the other bards. Yeah, one thing I want to add to your game pitch is I think you managed to put some really cool comedy inside of the game, which I find so few games have a sense of humor, so to say, uh, because all of the song cards actually have some fake lyrics, which you might recognize as uh, as something you've heard. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's right. Actually, every single uh, song in the game is based off an actual uh, like top forty big pop song, and uh, we actually went nuts and uh, wrote custom lyrics, like parody lyrics for every single card. And this is something that a lot of uh, people ask me. Usually terrified, like, "Oh, this this is a game about singing. Uh, do I have to actually sing?" And we always tell them that it's not necessary because the the quality of the singing is measured with die rolls. 
but you totally can sing if you want to because the cards have uh, lyrics printed on them. Like instead of your normal flavor text, we have actual lyrics that you can sing while playing. Uh, and it's three to six players, right? Exactly, yes. Uh, we have eight uh, playable characters in the box, uh, but up to six players can play simultaneously. So we actually uh, made sure to include more playable characters than there are players uh, to make it even more replayable and customizable because character is uh, our uh, main uh, thing. Like We want to make you feel like a bard, so it was important to include as many songs and, and uh, characters as we can. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think uh, people understood enough about about the game. Let's get to the publishing process. And because you went with, a, I, I would say, a small publisher, as in they have around one game per year or so that they publish. Uh, how involved were you uh, were you in the publishing process itself and the like final d- designs of the game? Yeah, right. So uh, it's even actually uh, less than one game per year uh, because they only had one original game uh, before uh, The King of All Bards. Uh, But they are mainly focused on um, localization. So they publish between 10 and 15 games per year, but those are all licensed games, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it it was this weird case where I was uh, working with people who are... uh, very um, experienced in publishing uh, and uh, the production side of things and also like retail, promotion, all that. But they weren't as experienced in designing games from the ground up because they only had one project before mine. That's uh, Battalia, uh, which was a big Kickstarter success. And uh, it was a big game, but it was their only game before mine, right? So... um, Basically, uh, we struck a deal, uh, your, I'd say, normal average um, design contract uh, in which I had to, you know, give them creative uh, freedom to change things in my game. This was part of the deal. So uh, in paper, we put that uh, the the team of uh, Phantasmagoria can uh, work on the game with me and change uh, things. And we also had... Uh, you know, a gentleman's agreement, if you will, uh, that they would never change something without, uh, you know, asking me first or, or getting my permission. And they very much honored that. So it was a, a team effort, definitely. Uh, I went there as a, you know, just one guy, just a designer with my project. I considered the game ready at the time. Uh, it was play tested and, and it was, uh, you know, fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they managed to, to, to find a lot of things that I hadn't really thought about and really improve it in, I'd say, every single way, including gameplay. Uh, They uh, run their own playtesting campaign because they already had a network of uh, playtesters, which is really a boon to any designer. This was great. And also they, uh, being a a production company, uh, they were really thinking about uh, the components and uh, what would be the best way to do something uh, and and have it look pretty and be functional and also be reasonably priced, you know. So we had to to talk quite a, a few things through, uh, but it was uh, very much a, a team effort, and everybody involved in the game uh, had their say, and the game reflected the opinions of all of the people involved. I, th- I think that's very good, and I think it, it shows in the components and quality of the game itself how much. Uh... They, how they actually did a very good job of it. 
and, and in fact, I, I've heard I've heard Reiner Knizia say many times about his advice to young uh, game designers is go with the small publishers because then it will uh, you you will have more more of a say in what and uh, and how the the game looks. And at the same time, there's more communication, and it is a team effort because you're both growing together, and they will have more interest in pushing your game, and you'll have more of an interest in uh, ma making the game the way you envisioned it at first. Uh, which brings me to my next question. How did you envision the game at first? How different is your first prototype from the final version of the game? I think that you said that there's like two or three years uh, between the final product and the initial design. Oh yeah, definitely. This was very much a theme first game. Uh, you know, uh, what uh, important industry people call uh, top-down design. Uh, so I definitely was driven by the narrative. And as I said, uh, my pretty much one and only goal designing this, uh, this game uh, all these years was how can I make you feel like a fantasy musician, right? It's, it's, it's almost a role-playing experience. Uh, so my initial concept was very simple. I knew that uh, the game needs to involve pubs or taverns because this is where bardic music happens in no fantasy worlds. And I knew that I really want to uh, include as much character as I can, both in terms of like the, the hero that you're playing, but also I made sure that their instruments are um, accurate, well, one being musician myself, I I have an eye for this, but also I really wanted to uh, to make believable cool uh, things that you can do in the game uh, that have some some way to be Im uh, imagined as a real thing, right? Uh, so beyond that, it changed completely. As I said, uh, I think the game lost uh, about eighty percent of of its initial design uh, between its like prototype version two and. I'd say. Uh, initially, uh, this was supposed to be a deck building game. Uh, my concept was uh, you're this bard and you have this repertoire. Uh, is this like the words? Uh, you, you have your, uh, the song is in your set and you begin the game with, uh, you know, just like five songs or whatever. And uh, in the course of the game, you uh, learn new songs and you get new instruments and you get new tricks and it became this mess. Like people were telling me, I see what you're doing here. Uh, this is uh, this is cool that that you have this involving system, uh, but this is a game about people getting drunk and singing songs, and you're you're uh, making me remember 160 cards, you know. Uh, so at one point, I just uh, made a decision to cut it all and uh, go for more of a party game uh, feel, uh, but without necessarily the uh, the, the simplicity of a party game. So it became this uh, mix of, it's still a, a, a game where tactics and strategy matter. It's still a game where you have your deck of cards and, and your hand management matters, but also it's a game about rolling dice and having fun. It, it did change quite a bit, uh, but what stayed consistent was the theme and the feel I was going for. Now let's get to where you're at now. Uh, because The King of All Bards is released already. It's out on the market. You can go buy it. Uh, but now you're working on some other games. C uh, can you tell me about uh, how you want to change your uh, design process in the future? How you want to... How, how you're thinking of publishing them? 
Uh, right. So, um, uh, as you said, my my first design was uh, published uh, through a publisher, which I now that uh, almost a year has passed, I can tell that was uh, the right decision at the time, uh, because uh, uh, really this publisher gave me a lot and uh, took a lot of the burden of publishing a game. Uh, Michael in episode one was talking about uh, you know the process and. Uh, how it's one thing to design a game and then completely different thing to actually publish it and get it in the hands of the people. So I am still a believer of, uh, uh, you know, working with publishers uh, because uh, in all honesty, I I want to uh, focus on the design process and the creative process. And I don't really enjoy doing marketing and sales and stuff like this. So I... I think I'll, I'll definitely be willing to uh, work with publishers again, maybe for my uh, future project that, that now I'm working on. Uh, to answer your question directly, I don't have a model yet. Kickstarter is never out of the question, though if I can help it, I wouldn't. Uh, it's just a personal preference, again, because of the sheer amount of work that is not uh, the, the creative part and the design part. Uh, but who knows? My my next game is actually very specific in in terms of a theme and the the audience that I want to reach with it. So I I will definitely be thinking about unusual ways to to promote it and uh, get it in the hands of, of of you know a different crowd, not your average convention goer or big box buyer or stuff like this. Yeah, with this new game, are you again going from theme to mechanics? Or? Absolutely, yes. Uh, this is uh, something I I like to do. Um, I, I, I'm really like an, a merit trash uh, kind of gamer, and I am uh, very much theme first uh, as a designer as well. So I I had the same principle. I had this idea. It was a weird uh, train of thought thing. Um, my father has been uh, getting into beekeeping, so bear with me here. Uh, we were talking about bees, and he was telling me how, uh, you know, the worker bees, they have these very short lives, and they just serve, uh, you know, the, the beehive, and then they die, and that's that's how they do. That's, that's what I do. And this got me thinking, what if people were like that? And uh, again, like trainer thought, I was like, I want to make a game where the goal is for you to die. And that's the cool thing about it. And this got into this idea of what if you're this really heroic, uh, cool dude, like your Conan the Barbarian and Gandalf, you know, epic level uh, kind of uh, hero. But it's not about your life. It's about uh, how you died and whoever died the most heroically is the winner of the game. So this kind of... Uh, flipped the, the, the narrative, uh, you know, in all, uh, all fighting adventure games, you try not to die, right? And I wanted to make a game where the point is for you to, sure, uh, go, go and die, but do it in the most uh, spectacular way possible. So this is how the, the game um, idea came to be. And the theme is obviously everything here. Like I can't start, uh, you know, scrabbling some formulas and, and make some numbers work and then make it thematic. It was supposed to be the other way around. Yeah, that's uh, something that I really love about the games that I've seen from you. And also that you have that, uh, like, you have your own sense of humor that you can see from the game. 
which I, I feel like, first of all, games in general are a difficult medium to present humor and to pr have... Uh, you can have personality. A lot from a lot of it comes from artwork. But I feel like uh, you're somebody who really m makes their games feel a, a certain way. You can feel that you have a sense of humor. Is what I'm trying to say. Basically, when you're playing your games, whether it's with King of All Bards, uh, uh, with the uh, cards that have parodies of songs, whether it's now with Boasting Barbarians, where you're, you're going to have some funny co combinations. Uh, I'm going to say about about the game. The point of the game is basically you have cards that uh, describe somehow your hero. I'm going to try and do a game pitch for you, by the way. <laughs> I'm sorry awesome. if I mess it up. Uh, and uh, what you're trying to do is you're, you're going to get more points if you can find uh, words that have alliteration, so words that start with the same letter. So let's say if you have a barbarian, you're going to uh, say it's, it's a boasting big barbarian. And... Uh, you, you try and think of combinations like that, but you also have co uh, interaction with other players because you can say, no, 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 that didn't happen that way. Uh, it actually happened this way. Give them a card uh, that, that changes the, the adjectives that they've put there and uh, t takes away points from them. So there's, so there's a lot of player interaction in the game. And it's very funny when you, you're coming up with these stories, uh, which are inspired by the cards. Yes, that was absolutely the goal. I think uh, your pitch was was uh, pretty accurate. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, uh, that that's the thing, right? I've I've play tested the, the King of All Bars so much with so many people. We're talking like uh, a process that took years. That I started noticing uh, things like every time uh, somebody executes a combination of cards, for example, they're like. Wow, I'm so good at this game. Look at the combo I, I just uh, put off, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't think of it as, oh, some game designer thought of this in advance and gave me the cards and I just used it. So I think this is a very important thing when you're designing games. Uh, it is your job to, to, to almost trick your players into thinking they did something when in fact, uh, it was very much designed like this. And this is the, the, um, the entire point of my new game as well. Like I get this a lot from friends talking to me. They're like, okay, you're always uh, writing and coming up with your games and stories and I can do that. Like it's, I'm just not a creative person and I can do it. And I'm a firm believer that everybody can do it as long as they're in the right state of mind. So uh, with this game, I'm trying to, again, trick people into thinking they, they're they coming up with these really cool stories, but uh, without this burden of, oh, uh, you, you know, uh, I'm expected to tell this brilliant story right now and, and I'm shy and can't do it. No, just here's a five cards. Like, what could go wrong? Just play your five cards and it will be just fine. And uh, playtests show that, uh, yeah, it, it does work like that. Like, as, as soon as the ice is broken, you know, everybody's played a turn. They just really get into it. I, I also got this a lot uh, with the King of All Bards. People were like, oh, I, I don't want to sing. I don't want to play a, a party game or whatever. And they play for five minutes and they get super into it. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I think this is uh, this is a great uh, thing to to witness your players, you know, reading your cards aloud and and uh, having these moments of wow, that was cool, uh, and this is what it's all about. And this is always the the, the end goal. I I want to make games that people just get excited about just by playing them and not thinking about it too hard. 
Yeah, and I, I think you you managed to do that. Yeah, I think you you really managed to get people excited, <laughs> not only with your games but with your personality in in general. Thank you. I, I really hope so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so tell me about your your design process. A couple of days ago, I had some some people talk about because uh, because I had said that I usually brainstorm. I try and brainstorm less and then prototype more, and then polish towards the end, and then go go go. Uh, around the process a couple of times uh but it really is that everyone has their own different type of style so how would you yeah. uh approach starting a new game as in yes you've got the theme now are you directly going to go into writing stuff out getting a prototype or are you going to think about uh, just let it stew in your mind if you will right yeah uh that's uh not very uh, easy question to answer uh, because it it varies a lot. It's it's uh, a creative process, so it will be different every time. I definitely spend more time in the brainstorming phase. I believe uh, that's where our processes uh, differ. Uh, as I said, my my games are very thematic, uh, so I really want to think about the world that I'm building and. That's not in terms of like, oh, here's the map and uh, this is where the dragons live, but more of a feeling, like what it is to, for a person to be inside this world, uh, what would a person in this world feel and how do I create mechanics so I make real, actual people feel the same feelings, you know? Uh, so I do brainstorm a lot. I, I have a notebook. Well, it's actually an app on my phone, but I do write everything down. Because uh, uh, these ideas, they, they come and go, and, and it's very easy to forget something brilliant. Uh, then I have what I call the, the night test. Uh, if I get excited about an idea, which happens quite often, mm -hmm. uh, I would like to, to sleep over it. And if I'm excited in the next morning, then I really write it down, and I'm, and I'm like, okay, uh, there's something here. More often than not, on the next morning, I'll be like, wow, what, what were I thinking? That's stupid and discarded. <laughs> that's, actually so, some, that's actually something yeah, so, uh, that reminds me of a John Lennon quote. He said, if uh, I've got a song that I really wanted to write down, but then I forgot it the next day, that means that song wasn't good enough. Wow, yeah, <laughs> brilliant. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I would never compare myself to him, but yeah, I think uh, th this is very nicely put. So yeah, if I'm excited uh, the next morning, I, I definitely write it down. Uh, that's another thing, like I'm a, a professional uh, game designer at this point, so I really treat it as work. Uh, so I'm very conscious about um, the hours I spent working on a project uh, because I've got uh, very limited quantities of these and i have the habit of uh, not only writing things down but also formatting them so you mentioned yeah i've, I've showed you <laughs> one of my tables uh but i i like to uh, put everything in spreadsheets and format my documents and really have things written down uh because uh well, for one, it's, uh, it preserves those ideas because uh, sometimes even I forget what I meant with something. And second, uh, I, I believe that uh, game design is very, very collaborative process and it's extremely important to get as many opinions as you can. So I'm constantly pitching my ideas like I'm meeting a friend on the street and I'm immediately like, oh, Listen to this. You're a worker bee, but you're actually Conan the Barbarian. How about that, right? <laughs> and uh, having these documents actually um, helps me refine those ideas. So 
you know, I know what I mean by them and it's easier to communicate with other people. And in the, in the cases where a friend would graciously uh, ask me what I'm working on, uh, normally a big mistake, I'll be like, okay, yeah, uh, have this 3000 words uh, of a, a design document that I just have lying around for cases like this. Tell me what you think. <laughs> so uh, you were the uh, unfortunate recipient of one of these uh, recently <laughs> with the boasting barbarians. Uh, but yeah, I, I think about stuff a lot and I write stuff a lot. And uh, then uh, as, as a step three, I guess, I sift through all of my ideas. I take the ones that I think can work. And then I try to put it uh, into a prototype and uh, get it in the hands of people. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely spent more time conceptualizing things that maybe I should. And you're telling me that your process is uh, quite a bit different, which is great. Uh, like I was just going to say it has it has differences, but I think it actually has more similarities than it does differences. Uh, because <laughs> I, too, get very excited at night about ideas, uh, which usually leads to insomnia and writing <laughs> stuff. But, but what I do is I write stuff down immediately. And I sort of try and play the game in my mind. Like if if I've, I'm already at the, the the stage, especially where I can, I've sort of played the game as a prototype. I I, I do that very often. And then the next day, well, <laughs> what what I liked about the game that I imagined, I would try and and implement in in the real game when I'm not as excited and. <laughs> yeah but but yeah same, same thing i i also i i do think about them a lot what i what i'm trying to say about the brainstorming phase is i do want to get it out as a prototype i need to get it out as a prototype so that i can brainstorm again and then get out another prototype and then i can do it's a cyclical process you usually i feel like most of my ideas come in the middle of the night which i don't like but it's the way it is <laughs> That's, uh, I can definitely relate to that. And I think it's like scientifically proven that uh, people are more creative at night uh, for various uh, reasons. You know, it's uh, for one thing, it's more quiet. You, you get to, uh, you, you know, hear your own thoughts better and stuff like this. But yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's a common occasion for me to, to just wake up or sometimes even dream about a game and just uh, wake up to put it on paper because uh, I know that it will be gone in the morning. Yeah. So, there was actually a study I, I read recently that was very interesting. Uh, they took three groups of people. Like one was a control group that basically just sat around, did nothing. Uh, the second group, what what they had them do is practice every day playing basketball. And the third group, they had the third group sit on the bench, watch the other guys practicing basketball, and imagine that they're playing basketball. And what the study came out with was that in the end... Of course, the first group wasn't any better at basketball than they were in the beginning. Uh, the second and third group, though, did not differ in results. The guys that sat on the bench and didn't actually practice, but only watched other people and imagined stuff, uh, <laughs> uh, actually got better, which which was That's really amazing. which was really interesting to me. And I've I've found that in my design process, I can really relate to that, and I can relate to it when. Uh, when just when learning anything, I remember when I used to go to the because I I graduated from the conservatory with uh, classical music, and lots of times I when I when I was on the bus I would look at my sheet music, and just go over it, just imagine playing through the piece, and then by the time I got to the uh, the building, 
Uh, I had already memorized it usually, and it, I, I wouldn't be starting from the beginning of the process. You know, I, I would actually just that 15 minutes on the bus or whatever would give me that uh, uh, that boost where I would already be in the piece before I got to an actual instrument. So I, 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 th I think for me, at least something that's worked is having your mind uh, set on something, even when uh, when, when you're not prototyping. And just imagining various scenarios and stuff, and you'll 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 figure stuff out as you go along. That's some of my philosophy. Uh, yeah, that's great. And what's even even uh, better than that is then you you get your hand in the in the hands of uh, actual playtesters, and it goes completely sideways. Usually, you know, <laughs> they're like, "Oh, so I do this now, and uh, you're uh, I get in this loop, and the game is broken." And you're like. Well, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what's what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've uh, faced that more than once. <laughs> but uh, that's exactly why the two parts are so important. Like the, you you can never conceptualize the perfect game without playtesting it, and vice versa. You can't just uh, go to the table and come up with something on the spot and and have a good uh, game either. It's about balance. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, how how do you go about playtesting and do you blind test your game and where do you blind test it? Obviously now considering the situation, I'm guessing that you're not uh, playtesting right. and bl blind testing, but uh, usually if, uh, how, how would you go about that? Right. So uh, yeah, uh, the, the, this uh, global situation thing uh, uh, really messed my plans up because for my uh, current project, uh, my idea from the get-go was to uh, involve as many people as I can uh, as early as possible and just uh, provide uh, players some cards, some concepts that I, I think would be cool, and uh, then see what works and what not, and iterate. This was the, the original idea. Again, uh, the, the global situation uh, uh, forced me to, to flip this completely. So uh, my, my current project uh, spent a lot of time uh, just on paper, just in my head. Uh, but with the King of All Parts, um, I definitely uh, tried out... Uh, a lot of things on my own and with a, a very small group of friends. I had uh, some amazing help from friends and we would uh, play test the game all the time. And I would seek out uh, random people, you know, the, the, the stranger, the better. Uh, when I have something uh, big that I've changed and I really want to, to see it in action, uh, so I would uh, normally play test the game with my friends. Then when uh, when something big changes, I would seek out people in the local club or whatever. And uh, finally, uh, blind testing was uh, very important, but uh, we started doing this when the game was uh, fairly complete. We had uh, the rule book that was almost final. And um, with uh, blind testers, we were looking for specific answers to uh, to questions. Uh, and looking for specific things uh, because most of the general systems uh, were already tested and we knew uh, were working. Yeah, and I, I think that's how you should go about a, a, a blind testing. Have your rules, uh, your game should be finished by the time you're blind testing. 
You only yes, need it, to you only need to test your rulebook and test that people are playing it the way that you intended them to play it. Exactly, because uh, obviously blind testing is the the most difficult kind of testing that you can get, and you uh, really uh, have to be appreciative of uh, the time of those people. And uh, yeah, it's generally not great to to constantly send half finished things just to test them out if you can help it. Uh, that's at least how I view it, uh, and. Also, it's uh, like blind testing can be very interesting because uh, we had this weird experiment. Uh, we had two groups of players. They, they were uh, strangers to us. They were all, uh, all of them were friends of friends. They didn't know any of us in the team. Uh, and we had them uh, play the King of All Bards at the same time uh, in the same apartment, but different rooms. Uh, and it was... Uh, just uh, me and a guy from Phantasmagoria with one group and another two people from Phantasmagoria with the other group. The playtesters in my room did everything perfectly, I should say. Like they, they played the game correctly. They grasped the rules. They literally made only one mistake and it wasn't even a mistake. They did know that they were like, oh, so this is done like this. They just ended up forgetting about it uh, two turns later. But it was very positive um, experience. They, they enjoyed the game and they grasped it completely. And I walk out, smile on my face, and I'm like, okay, obviously we did a good job here with the rules. And I see the faces of my colleagues and they're like, nope, <laughs> not, not the same story in our room. And turns out the, the people in the other room were playing their own game with our components and didn't bother with the rules a lot. Mm. Uh, so it's very important to, to do these types of tests and also, uh, again, have this, uh, these specific questions that you uh, need the answers to. Uh, because sometimes people will just play wrong and it's not even your fault. And uh, but, but this is still very valuable. Like you can still make things clearer or more visual or whatever. Or uh, worst case, you know, uh, you have a portion of, of people, uh, an audience that you know your game is not for them now because testing also shows you what type of person enjoys your game. It's not always about you being clear or you know, having the, the best rulebook or stuff like this. Yeah, definitely. You'll always have, uh, it's it's completely normal to have an audience and it's completely normal to have people who hate your game and hopefully people who love your game. And I feel like if, if your game is in the middle on both, like everyone is uh, okay with your game, I think you should change your, uh, your method. <laughs> exactly. I would straight up call this a failure. If you have an okay game, uh, that's that's not enough, I think. Yeah, I think love and a love and hate relationship is great in terms of of creativity and and uh, like making things. If some people love it, some people hate it. That's a good sign. So how yes, you... and this sorry, <laughs> I just wanted to say that this goes uh, not only. Uh, uh, for the entire game as a whole, but also for different aspects of your game. Uh, as I mentioned, the King of All Bards has eight characters and they're very different, uh, very, very distinct, all of them. And we actually had audiences vote on them. We polled people like, take these eight pictures of guys and just tell me who's the coolest and who's the worst. And it was very interesting to see that some characters uh, got... Uh, very high scores and very low scores. Uh, uh, Hickory, our uh, Asian-inspired character uh, in particular, some people said, I love her. She's uh, she's so uh, full of character. And other people were like, her eyes are creepy. Uh, and uh, because she has this very unnatural green eyes, uh, she has this interesting stare at her uh, on her face. And some people loved it and some people 
uh, were kind of, you know, they didn't like it as much. And that's where we know we, we have an interesting character because she is now amazing to play as for people who like her. And she's uh, great to, to beat at the game for people who are like, oh, get, get, get off with your big drum and your green eyes, <laughs> you know? Uh, so uh, this this also works on on um, individual basis for characters or even game game mechanics and stuff like this. Yeah, let's backtrack a little bit and tell me more how you went about writing the rules. Uh, did you do all the writing? Did you have somebody else help you out? How did that process go? Yeah, so uh, I had the rules written down uh, when I uh, contacted the uh, the studio, so uh, they were already on paper. Uh, then um, we just tested them and iterated a bit. The, the studio had final say uh, in some minor things. They didn't change the text a lot. Uh, we opted to put a lot of character in the rules as well. So uh, our rule book uh, would have a line of rules text and then some of the characters would have like a speech bubble and comment on it. So instead of saying, okay, so you roll the die and you need five and up, and then put uh, your normal example, uh, we would have uh, some of the characters crack a joke. So oh, uh, most of these are, uh, were written by me, but also guys from the studio uh, wrote some of the, um, uh, of the flavor pieces. And then the studio localized it in the game's uh, three languages. I, I did the skeleton of the rules. And then again, like all aspects of the game, it was a team effort to uh, get them to the final version. Thank you for, for coming on um, the podcast. I, I really love talking to you. Now, if you want to tell listeners anything about your games, where they can find them, where they can follow you, social media, stuff like that, any shout outs? Yeah, right. So uh, I guess you can check out my game, The King of All Bards. Uh, it's uh, on all of the social medias and on uh, Board Game Geek. And uh, yeah, if you... Click on my name on Board Game Geek, you get my pinch, and this is how you can talk to me. Uh, that's about it. When I have uh, some some uh, progress with my next game, I'll I'll sure to be telling everybody about it. But right now, you can just check out my board game. That would be quite enough. <laughs> well, I'd you. love to, I'd love to have you on again when you're uh, finished with your next game, and I can't wait for for that moment to come. <laughs> would be an absolute pleasure. All right, Th thanks a lot again. Thank you.